Well, I said earlier in the service that today kicks off our annual Missions Emphasis Month. Uh, We've done this every year since we started the church a few years ago, taking a month near the end of the year to try to spotlight important ministry partnerships that we have around the world and right here in Nashville. And I'm aware that it's a little bit risky to have a Missions Emphasis Month. Uh, because the, the risk, of course, is that it can seem dismissive towards mission for the rest of the year, right? That, okay, we, we sort of throw our mission a bone in November so that we can focus on the things that we really care about throughout the rest of the year. I hope you won't take this that way. The goal isn't to just sort of check a box and say, well, at least we paid some attention to mission this year before the end of the year rolls around. The goal really for this month has always been to springboard you into greater involvement. You know, you guys are not too far away from trying to identify what your New Year's resolutions are going to be, right? It's like two months from now. And who knows? But maybe an opportunity we spotlight together this month might make the cut. And you can fail at that, like you fail at all your other New Year's resolutions. <laughs> we, want to, we, want to be, we want this month to be a springboard for your involvement in ministry next year. And the other reason we do this is that, uh, is that we want to call you to give generously to mission. The other thing that's happening is as the year rolls down, um, end of year tax time, it's a time when people are often looking to be charitable with money that they might have that they don't need for that year. And you guys are such faithful givers to keep our church afloat, to keep us going, doing ministry in our city. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness to give generously. What we always want to do at the end of the year is ask you to think about being even more generous, not for the operations of our church in this case, but for the ministry that our church is trying to fund here in Nashville and around the world. We want you to consider giving extra, giving above and beyond what you would normally give to help our church thrive and keep going, and, and give specifically to a fund that we will use to to fund a lot of our mission next year. So in order to pump up that fund, we're taking that offering from now to the end of the year. You can designate uh, gifts to that offering, Trinity Missions, if you're using a check. But in order to pump that up, we want to remind you of the sorts of things that we're doing with that money. You know, we want to, we want to celebrate what that money is doing all around the world. So we're going to do that together in the next few weeks. Here's the plan. So we're gonna, I'm going I'm to sort of set the stage for us in the sermon that's about to come, but... But before I do that, I want to tell you what the next weeks uh, hold for us in this emphasis. So, so next weekend is a big weekend for us. I want to make sure all of you know exactly what's happening so that you can plan to be part of it. We're going to be hosting a couple who has uh, roughly 20 years of experience serving in Central Asia. Central Asia is an area of the world that our church has especially targeted for our prayers, for our ministry support, for our money, for, uh, for hopefully sending people from Trinity uh, to serve there. It's a region that inclu- is, is mostly made up in the Muslim world. Uh, it includes all the countries that have Stan at the end of them, uh, plus the UAE, plus a lot of Iran, part of Iraq, part of Turkey. Um, it's, it's a region where there are barely any Christians. I mean, the numbers are shocking. There are barely any Christians there. It's the front lines for the advance of the gospel into the world. And we want to be part of it. And so we've, we've built a, a really special partnership there over the last couple of years. Teams from Trinity have gone over to help uh, pull off some training events that, uh, that, that the leadership in that region with the International Mission Board, our, our partner organization, that the leadership uh, of that region put on every year. They put on training. We go over and try to help them with logistical support. This next weekend, 
One of the main trainers from the events that we've helped to pull off is going to be with us here at Trinity. He and his wife are here in the States for roughly the next eight months or so. They're, they're staying over at Union University in Jackson, and they're driving over here to spend the weekend with us. So we want to make sure that all of you who are interested get some face time with them. It would be a wonderful chance for you to ask about what the gospel is doing over there, uh, to ask questions if you think you might be interested in serving abroad one day. These are the people to talk to. They not only have experience, but they have connections all over that part of the world. So here are your opportunities with them. Okay, You're going to hear more about this, but I want to go ahead and say it again so there's no, uh, no chance that you don't know what's coming. So next Saturday evening, we've already talked this morning about the bonfire. And every year we do this great uh, social opportunity to get together and enjoy each other and to enjoy uh, the fall weather and some good hot dogs. Well, the, the Kleins, it's the name of the missionary family that's going to be with us. The Kleins are going to be with us at the bonfire. No agenda, no program. We're all just eating and having fun, but they're going to be there. So it's a great chance for you to interact with them, to, to get to know them a little bit and ask them some of your questions. Then next Sunday, um, during the Sunday Bible study hour before worship, uh, instead of, in place of the normal Bible teaching that happens during that hour, we're going to have a sort of reception for them. They're going to be there. We're going to have coffee and bagels. There's going to be a time at the beginning for you guys to interact with them and meet them, ask them your questions, get to, get, get, get to know, put the, the names with the faces. Uh, then we're going to ask them to tell us a little bit about their story. So we'll all sit and, and listen to them for a few minutes, uh, describe how they came to serve in international missions and what their career has been like over 20 years, the changes they've seen, the, the fruit that they've seen. And then, uh, and then during, the, during the worship service next Sunday, Robert is actually going to be preaching for us. So he's going to unpack a, a section of the scriptures, but with a special focus on trying to help us, trying to energize us and help us understand better our calling to live our lives on mission um, and, and draw from his personal experience doing that with all of his life to encourage us to, to follow in, those, in that example. So that's what's coming next weekend. Then uh, on November 23rd, so three weeks from today, we're going to focus on local ministry and try to spotlight some of the ministries that members of Trinity are involved with that have opportunities for you to get involved with immediately. What we're going to do is before the service, before the worship service, and then after the worship service, back in the back of this room, we're going to have, we're going to have ministries set up at tables where, where uh, volunteer leaders from those ministries will be there. Maybe they'll have some material to hand out. At the very least, they'll be there to answer your questions or tell you about their work. And then, um, and then maybe tell you how you can get involved if you're interested in that. They're not going to be giving you the hard sell. All right, so don't avoid it because you don't want to be asked to do anything. Uh, go back there just to ask them what's going on. It's, a, it's an education opportunity. It'll help to shape your prayers. But then who knows? But what the Lord might have you uh, plug into one of these ministries. Uh, at the very least, come to learn and, and, and shape your prayers based on what we see together. But come with an, an open mind and heart to what God might call you to in the next year. There are immediate opportunities to do some incredible ministry in Nashville. And we want to make sure you guys know all about it. So that's November 23rd. Make sure you're here before you go to the ends of the earth for your Thanksgiving celebrations. All right, today I want to set the stage for our mission emphasis together. Um, the elders at Trinity recommended a while back that, that we spend at least one Sunday actually talking about how we understand our call to mission as a church how we understand what God is doing in the world and how he plans to use us for what he's doing. And I think it's very timely in part because our study of John has covered a lot of this material. John has a lot to say about what we're supposed to be doing if we're following Jesus to represent him in the world. And the section of John that we've been in for the last few weeks is especially focused on this idea. 
So in the last few weeks, we've been unpacking Jesus' last words to his followers. He's, he's up over the, having this special meal with his closest friends. He's about to be arrested and killed. He knows that. And so he's, he is spilling the beans to them. He is telling them everything they're going to need to know to hold on in faith after he's gone. And part of what he's telling them is what it will mean for them to take over the work that he's been doing. He has set them up to follow him doing the works that he did representing him and bearing witness to him until he comes back. And so, especially in John 15, which has been our focus the last couple of of weeks, we've seen some great nuggets that we've really just had to pass over in our sermon so far. Some great nuggets that help explain to us what our job is as Jesus has left us here to represent him. The fact that we've already covered this same ground in John 15 well, it means that I don't have to, I don't have to work systematically back through the, that chapter. We're not going to try to uncover, once again, the main themes that are there. Instead, what I want to do for the, for the next little while is just sort of dip into what we've already covered and latch on to some of the details that I wasn't able to unpack when we passed over it the first time, the details that really help us to see with more clarity what God's doing in the world and how He wants to use us for it. There are a few details I want to, uh, I want to pull out, but they... They sort of congregate under three sections. I want to talk this morning, understanding what it is God has called us to do, I want to talk this morning about God's mission, which is highlighted in John 15, about God's power, which is promised to us for this mission in John 15, and then thirdly, God's people that he has called to himself to be sent out on the mission that he is doing in the world. That'll help us understand what our responsibility is. So I want to focus on God's mission, God's power, and God's people this morning. Before we do that, I want to read uh, the section we're really going to be drawing from. John chapter 15, verses 12 to 27. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me as I read. I'm going to read 12 to 17, and then I'm going to jump down and read verses 26 and 27. Those are the sections we'll focus on this morning. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. The first thing I want to do is talk about God's mission and what we learn about what God is doing from this passage. Uh, It's tempting to want to start, maybe it feels natural to want to start a, a sermon about our mission in the world, talking about us. There's a lot of inspiration in pitching mission to you as if what happens in the world, the future of the world is hinging 
on what you do next. There's some motivational power there. But that's not even how Jesus understood his life. Even Jesus understood his life, everything that he did and everything that he said, as just fulfilling something that his father was doing. Even Jesus' whole life was not about himself, but about what his father had sent him to do. Jesus' focus, John's focus, and our focus, the starting place for it, has got to be on what God is doing in the world, not first and foremost what we're supposed to do in the world. The incredible thing about John 15 is that Jesus is taking his followers into the mission that his father is about and that his father sent him to do. Now Jesus is taking his followers into the mission of God. He's treating them like friends. He's treating them like collaborators or partners, not like servants. Surely in one way or another, all of you guys have experienced that switch in a relationship. From a relationship that's focused on just doing what you're told without a whole lot of explanation, to a relationship where you're an insider to what's going on. It happens in, in research. Let's say you... You remember what it's like to be an undergraduate. If you guys have been to college, you know that you know that uh, that an undergraduate just does what the syllabus says. There's no explanation, usually. Maybe some of the better teachers explain what's what's going on. But a lot of times, it's just do this, and you'll get, you know you'll get what what you have coming to you. But a lot of you, I know, have been to graduate school, and you know what happens there is that at some point a switch flips, and you're collaborating with your PI or your advisor or whatever that that role may be where you're actually talking together about what that person is doing and about what you're doing. It's negotiated and your insights matter and they've taken you in as sort of a, a, a partner. Happens in parenting too. Uh, we parent a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so it doesn't happen a lot for us. We mainly just tell them to do things and do our best to make sure they're doing it uh, because they won't be reasoned with. But there are moments, uh, there are moments every now and then where I get to take my son in with me on the plan that we're executing. Happens a lot, pretty much any time we need to make a Trader Joe's run, and we, we're going to get Mama some of the three ninety nine flowers. You guys know these flowers? I mean, they're cheap, right? I'm, I'm just outing myself here. I buy $4 flowers for my wife, but my boy loves it. He gets really into it, and there's something sweet about us going to this thing where he is in on the plan, right? He knows what we're going to do. I give him a job to pick them out and to carry them, to take them up to mom after we get back. And he loves that. There's a different way of, he has a different way of responding to me and what I've set out when he's an insider to it than when I'm just telling him not to kill his brother. (laughs) And I think this is the sort of switch that Jesus is describing in verses uh, 14, 15, 16. No longer do I call you servants. I could. You are my servants. I have the right to command you. I have the right to ask you to do things that you don't understand. But no longer am I just calling you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. He just takes his orders. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. All that I've heard from my father, I've passed on to you. I've given you insider information on what I am doing, what my father is doing in the world. And effectively what he's saying is he's leaning into them and he's saying, 
do you want in? So what is his father doing? What is it that he's inviting his followers to be part of? What is this mission that God has planned and that Jesus has come to accomplish and that he then hands on to his friends? The Bible talks about it in a lot of places and in a lot of different images, and we can't even scratch the surface this morning. What God is doing is as big as all of the world. It is as broad as the peace that was the goal of the Old Testament, shalom, a world of wholeness and, and plenty, a world where there's no loss, where there's no fear of death, where there's no conflict, there's no war, a world in which everyone flourishes as we were made to flourish because we love and trust God fully without any seed of doubt that he might not be worth it. A world in which we see God's goodness and beauty for what they are and know the joy that we were made to find in him. Peace is the word for all this in the Old Testament. In John, the word that he likes to use more is life. Uses life over and over again as the goal for which Jesus came, as the thing Jesus is building, as the promise that Jesus is making to anyone who will come to him, life that starts here and now and goes on forever, a life that is full and free, a life where death and loss have no claim. It's a life that's unmarred by dissatisfaction. Don't we all experience dissatisfaction in almost every area of our life. Even our joys are sort of underwritten with the temporariness of them or the, the fact that they, they fall somewhat short of what we wish that they were. The life that Jesus offers is one in which you drink from a living water that makes you thirsty no more. That was one of his promises we've unpacked together. It's a life that, where, where you eat from the bread of life that once you've eaten takes away your hunger once and for all. No dissatisfaction and joy anymore in the life that Jesus came to provide. It's a life in which death is no longer a threat. It won't be cut short. It won't hang over us as this cloud that we can't escape. And the amazing thing is that this life, this life that is forward-looking, is also available now to all who come to him. This is the theme when Jesus uses language like this in John 15. When he talks about saying and doing what the Father sent him to do and say, He's talking about the Father's plan to give life to dead people. What did he send the Son for? We saw it in John 3.16. God so loved the world. He so loved that sphere of rebellion against him. Those people he made in his image who rejected his offer of kindness, care, provision, and life. He so loved those who did not love him that he sent his own son, his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Eternal life. That's what God's doing. He's giving life. Another place, John 5, verses 19 to 24, gets some of the same language Jesus is using in John 15 about what the Father is doing. Jesus has told his followers, I brought you in All I heard from my father, I passed on to you. What did he hear from his father? John chapter 5 answers that. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. 
There's the father taking the son in, just like the son is taking his followers in. What is he doing? Greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. What's the father doing? What is it that he's shown Jesus, that Jesus has now shown his friends? Oh, he's giving life to the dead. That's what he's doing. Same thing comes out in chapter 6. We read it earlier before, as we were celebrating communion. Jesus said there that I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will not hunger and whoever believes in me will not thirst. All that the Father come, gives me will come to me for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do whose will? To do the will of him who sent me. I came on my Father's mission. All that the Father gives me will come. This is a mission that is going to succeed. And this is his will. That I would lose nothing of what he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. His mission is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's a consistent theme. It's over and over in John. Jesus being taken into the plans of his Father. Them looking down together on the world that, they, that had rejected them, but that, that they still loved. And seeing that their creatures those that they loved like their own children were dying and didn't even see it. They couldn't even recognize it. And the father and the son together in this mysterious chamber where they're, where they're discussing their plans say, we've got to do something here. They're dying. We've got to stop this. And the son promises his father, I will give them life. I will go to them. I will give them my life so that they might have life. And now Jesus to his friends, passes on what he learned from his father. He says to them, I have come so that anyone who looks on the Son will have life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now go to it. That's the mission of God, giving life to those who are dead in sin, who are broken and wasting away. He's been doing it ever since Jesus was walking the earth. He's done it all over the world. He's promised to do it among every tribe and every tongue of people who ever lived. And he's invited us to be part of it. Do you want in? And before we get to our part in it, this is a natural place to transition to us. Here's what God's doing, now let's go do it for him. Don't you want to get in on what he's doing? Don't you want in on this ground floor? But I think it'd be too soon. It'd be too quick for us to jump to what we're supposed to do. Because there's more in this passage about this mission. There's, there's beautiful promises here about what God has done to make sure that the mission was going to succeed. He has not asked us to back a horse that might not win. It's campaign season in America. In the middle of this next week, there's going to be a lot of people without jobs. Right? Because they backed the wrong guy. Because they were staffers for a guy who loses. They're going to be jobless. There's a, there's a way of thinking about our mission, God's mission that, that could leave us exposed to that same kind of risk. So you're asking me to put everything I've got on your attempt to give life to people. But I know a lot of people who don't have any interest in Jesus. In fact, the passage that we talked about last week is all about the hatred of the world. That when people who love other things hear about Jesus, 
it provokes not a love for him often, but a hatred of him. So how should I expect to have any success when I go to the world with this message of life that God has brought to me through Jesus? Isn't there a chance that I might miss out on something good in this life for a mission that ultimately is just going to fail anyway? That's the question you should be asking. I don't want to back a horse that doesn't win. And the beauty in John 15 is that Jesus is making it clear that that's not going to happen. Because the mission that God is doing is not one he's left to chance. The mission he's doing proceeds and succeeds by his power. Not by the power of those he chooses to use. A couple of places that I want to point this out. Three different promises of power in this chapter. In the first place, I want to look for the first two promises are in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15. We talked about these more uh, last week, but I want to go back in for something I wasn't able to say last week. What is Je- why does Jesus go in the middle of a section on the hatred of the world and the promise that you'll be rejected by the world if you're with Jesus, that it might even cost you your life? In the middle of that warning about what to expect from the world, Jesus talks about the promise of the Spirit. He says, when the, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. Here's what that means. Here's the promise there. That as you go out on the mission of God, offering the life that only Jesus can provide to people who hate Jesus and what He offers, you have the promise that some will believe Because you don't go alone. When you go, you go with the helper. And the helper has the power to change the hearts even of those who hate Jesus. He's changed ours. He can change theirs. When you go, you go with the one whose whole purpose in coming here was to make Jesus look beautiful. The Spirit comes to show truth to those who live in ignorance. To bear witness to Jesus, to those who want nothing to do with him. To change hearts so that what is loved is the promises of Christ and all that he offers instead of the promises of this world and all that it offers. The Spirit's whole job is to make Jesus beautiful. In the context of the hatred of the world, you can understand if you've tasted any of that hatred at all in any context. You can understand how it could seem impossible that anyone will ever hear a witness to Jesus and convert to him. I have felt that deeply. And it makes no sense to me how anyone conditioned by everything they've thought, by all of their family ties, by the weight of their culture and its values, could ever hear a message about a God who becomes human, who dies and rises again and be drawn in by it. Maybe it seems that way to you at school, if you're a student. It can seem that way in your jobs, especially those of you who work in the music business or in the university world where the values of Christ are often seen as foolish. It can seem that way here in the neighborhoods of Nashville, much less in Istanbul or Tashkent or Ramon or Cairo or Amsterdam or Paris. Can you imagine Living for Jesus in a place like that, where Jesus is not known, in 
saying where what is known about him is ridiculed or despised? How do you go on a mission to places like that and put yourself out there as with Jesus and have any hope whatsoever that anyone will ever hear and respond? That's what Jesus is expecting them to think. And that's why he tells them, the helper is coming. And when the helper comes, he'll bear witness about me. You just be faithful, you go. Let the Spirit bear witness about me. Because when he bears witness about me, people respond. It's the first source of power for this mission. Second is the word, much more quickly. Verse 27 says, you'll bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. It's easy to take that as a a, a word to us. You'll bear witness, just like the Spirit bears witness, you'll bear witness too. But he's not talking to us. He's talking about those who were there with him from the beginning. He's talking about the apostles. He's giving them a job that no one else in the history of the world could possibly do. They could bear direct personal testimony to what they'd seen from Jesus. He's talking ultimately here about the word of God about what they would write under the power of the Spirit that would be handed down to us through the generations. He's talking about an authoritative testimony to him and all that he did that only those who were with him could possibly pull off under the power of the Spirit. The power that we can trust as we take the, as we take the, the message of Jesus into the world is a power of the Word to do its work in people. It changes hearts when it, when it reaches them. And the final source of power is prayer. We've looked at this in earlier weeks as well. I'll just mention it for today. In the last couple of chapters, there are some extravagant promises about prayer. Ask whatever you want. No matter what it is, you ask it in my name, you'll get it. That's what Jesus has said. Chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Chapter 15, verse 7. And then again where we read it. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And every time Jesus makes these extravagant promises, he's making them in the context of mission, of what he's sending his people to do. And he's telling them, you don't go alone. You go with the, with the promise that God will hear you when you ask him for help on what you're doing. And he will respond. And here's the last thing. We talked about God's mission and the power that promises if we stake ourselves to it, that we will be successful. We're going to spend time in the next month talking more about us. Right? We've talked about God and what he's doing this morning. We're going to spend more time in the, in the month to come talking about us and what our role is, but I want to point you toward it as we close. The amazing thing about this passage, about God's purpose, is that he uses us, uses his followers as real contributors, as, as non-negotiable vehicles for carrying out his mission. He has chosen to use us. And the emphasis on chosenness is a really important one here. Did you see that word come up in verse 16? This is crucial for us to know and have as our identity as witnesses to Jesus in the world. We're going to say a lot more in weeks to come. Start here. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This club that you're a part of is not one that you earned your way into. Jesus wasn't looking to see who established themselves as the elite. This is not some sort of skull and bone secret society, right? It is not a fraternity where you pledge and prove yourself to be worthy of his mission. Jesus chooses people out of the world. He's told us that. Not the elite, but those who are no different than anyone else. And for his own purposes, out of his grace, he says, you are going to be my vehicle. 
for doing what I am doing in the world. He takes us with all of our frailty, our limitations, our sin, and he puts us to work in something as big as all the world and as magnificent as all of history. He puts us to work for his mission. And what he's chosen us for is to go out. Did you notice that language? I chose you and appointed you not so that you would feel better about yourself, not just so that you would have more peace in getting through the life that you live now while you wait for the life to come. No, I chose you and I appointed you so you would go out and bear fruit. He has appointed you, each of you that are with Jesus, he has appointed you to a very specific way of looking at the world. He has appointed you to be always looking for ways to share Jesus. He has appointed you where you are. He's appointed you as medical professionals and teachers, as aid workers and researchers, as students, as moms and dads, as folks in the music biz or the business world, as folks who are in law or whatever other field you might find yourself in. Where you are is somewhere he knew you would be. And he has chosen you and put you there for mission. He wants to leverage you and all of your time. He wants to leverage you and all of your money. He wants to leverage you and all of your relationships, you and all of your opportunities. Wherever you are, he wants you to be part of what he is doing in the world. So what this month is for us is a time for deep self-reflection, a time to think about where you are and to understand that you are where you are because God put you there. And to ask yourself, what could I be doing to be more aware of the opportunities God has given me to join him in giving life to the dead? I guarantee you, there are opportunities you haven't seen yet. And if you will ask him to show you, he will. This month is about us learning to live together on mission, not for ourselves, but for those that God has put in our life to always be looking outward, never settled or comfortable with the exposure we already have. God is redeeming a people. God is giving life to the dead. There is no one who is beyond reach because everything depends on God's power. He is the one who spoke and the world came to be. And he will not be stopped. And we get to be part of it. Father, we want to be faithful to this mission. We want to see our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We want to see the opportunities all the way around the world as opportunities for us. We want to leverage everything that we have. But we're held back all too often by our own apathy, our own distraction, our own selfishness. Father, forgive us for taking the gifts you have given to us and turning them only inward to ourselves. And Father, help us by the example of Jesus and the power of your Spirit to look out and to serve with joy and gratitude while we wait for his return. Help us as individuals and as a church culture to be marked by this outwardness and keep us from ever being too comfortable, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.